0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 14, a few selected verses there, verses 10 through 14, and then 21 and 22, which can be found on page 55 in your pew Bibles, or 107 in the large print pew Bibles. Exodus 14, 10 to 14, and then 21 to 22. And before we read, of course, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for the life that you have offered in Jesus. The one who is the way and the truth and the life. The one, as we saw last week, is the resurrection and the life. Lord, we ask that you would give us a better vision of who you are. That we would see Jesus more clearly. God, that as He is, uh, as we seek to follow Him, that we would do so actually having a living and loving and trusting relationship with Him. God, we pray that we would know Him better. That we'd be able to follow more closely. And that you would continue your work of transforming us more and more into his image and likeness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 14, we have um, the Israelites on their way out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and we've gone through all of the you know Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh saying, no, 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 again and again. And then all the plagues that God sent on the land until finally Pharaoh said, enough, get out of here. I'm paraphrasing. The people all leave, but then Pharaoh changes his mind. And so they're out of uh, Egypt or on their way, but they're not quite free yet from the Egyptians who have now decided to chase them down. And they find themselves cornered. They are uh, right up against the sea that they cannot get across with the Egyptians approaching from behind. So starting in verse 10, it says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord is bringing you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Skipping down to verse twenty-one and twenty-two, we see how that works. Says then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea, drove, drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. (coughs) Turning into Colossians, our New Testament lesson, Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty three. It can be found on page nine hundred fifty four in your Pew Bibles or eighteen twenty nine in large print. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Paul writes, The Son, that being the Son of God, not the Son of the Sky, the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. established, and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Wow. That is one one of those passages... That is worth going back to again and again, especially when you hear somebody say, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, but I don't think he was in any way divine. Well, let's take a look at that again. And that's really the question that we have uh, before us right now, is the question of who is Jesus? We started last week, and we talked about how, you know, was the... Uh, person on the street interview that I talked about where they were asking if uh, if people preferred the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And that, remember, people were quite willing to share their opinions over which they preferred without realizing that they're different names for the exact same thing. And we said last week that if, um, unfortunately, many people probably would have plenty to share of their opinions on do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is without knowing at all who Jesus says he is. And so, what we are looking at is who does Jesus say that he is because the world has an awful lot to say about who Jesus is that may or may not be who he says he is. And don't you think he might know better than people who are just guessing? And today we get, actually, one of the most controversial statements that he has made. You will hear this one brought up again and again in uh, in conversations, particularly as it relates to Christianity versus kind of other world religions. I will clarify just briefly that um, I heard someone say a couple of years ago, you know, when you look at the major world religions, he said, I took a class on the world, major world religions. And he said, when I came out of it, you know, they went in, they said there were five major world religions. And he said, when I came out of it, I was convinced that there are not five major world religions. There are four major world religions and one gospel. Because all the others were, what do we do to make ourselves right with God or to get a place in some sort of perfection. But there's only one gospel, only one where God said, "Let me come to you and do it for you." But this is why Christianity um, kind of comes into conflict with these other world religions. And this verse will get brought up more than anything else. This statement that Jesus made about himself gets brought up in those contexts more than about any other verse. And so we want to know, what does this say? And what did he mean when he said it? It is the statement Jesus made when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And let me tell you, Our culture today instinctively opposes this verse, instinctively reacts negatively and says, that can't possibly be right. There can't be just one way. And I think the way that they're getting there is, it's like saying, you can't just have one flavor of ice cream. You know, if I go into a Baskin-Robbins and they say, there is only one flavor that you can order, you'd look around and say, no, there are 31. I see it. It's on the sign. There are 31 flavors. I can choose whatever. No, nope, there's only one flavor. And I think that's the way people view it. They say, no, no, no. Some people will like one and some people like others. And for you to say that there's only one, you're just ignoring the other options and, you are, uh, and you're just being too narrow about what there is. But there are really a lot to choose from. And some people will prefer one and some people another. But Jesus is not like a flavor of ice cream. So let me, let's take us back and see where this verse fits in the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples and see why what he says actually makes sense if we understand who he is. Back up just a second before we get into that. I say he's not like a flavor of ice cream. What we're talking about is that Jesus as the way to the Father. As the way uh, to life and real life. Life as it's supposed to be. And you remember the passage we just read from Exodus. The people standing there at the edge of the sea And it's like, if we try to go across the sea, we're going to drown. If we stay where we are, we're going to be killed by the Egyptians. If we try to fight back, we're not fighters and we have no weapons and we're going to be killed. So pretty much, it's our options are death, death, or death, no matter what we do. And Moses says, be still, God is going to do something for you. And then what he does is he opens up the way in the sea. Now, how many of you, if you're standing there as Egyptians and you've been... This is Egyptians. (laughs) Don't do that. If you're standing there as the Israelites... And you're looking at all of your options. And you're like, all right, plan A, we die. Plan B, we die. Plan C, we die. This is not good. And then God opens a way in the sea. How many of you looks at that and goes, really, just one way? Only one way to be saved? I don't know. That doesn't seem... That, I would think he would make lots of ways. You'd say, no, thank you for giving us the way, and on you go. Okay, so with that in mind, this is why I say Jesus is not like a flavor of ice cream. But here's the, com- here's the context of the conversation. It's John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, um, which comes on the heel of Jesus predicting Peter's denial. This comes in the midst of a long conversation Jesus is having with his disciples the night that he is betrayed. And he has been telling them, I'm going away. Peter says he wants to come with him. He says, not now. Let will be later. Is actually, you're getting ready to deny me tonight. Knowing that this is going to trouble them, that he's going away, he says to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. This statement, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, is not just given at random. And it's not just to be an exclusive statement. It is to show and open that way of life. It is as though people are standing there on uh, the shore of the sea that's just been opened for them. And Moses says, "Look, there is the way. It's given not in opposition to anything else, as a way of saying, uh, "I want you to know this is right," and because of all these other wrong things, saying, so "I want you to know this is right, because this is the way of life that has been opened to you by your loving Father. Go that way." But it's not the way of the world. It's not the way of religion, of trying to do something ourselves to earn our way to God. It is accepting who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That he is the way. The reason why Jesus is the way and the truth and the life Comes down to what he says next about, about how he is in the Father, the Father's in him. You remember he said at the very end there, if you don't believe what I'm saying to you, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus has been going around doing amazing things. His disciples have seen the things that he's been doing. But he's not doing magic tricks. What he's doing, and he's pointed this out repeatedly. He's doing the things that his father's been doing from the very beginning. And so you have, and so you have him giving uh, life to those who are dead. Well, who is the only giver of life, the creator of life itself? You see Jesus taking a little bit of bread. This is uh, C.S. Lewis has a great article on miracles where he talks about this, and he says you see Jesus taking. Um, a little bit of bread and a little fish and turning it into enough to feed a lot of people. And he says, that's what's been going on every year since the beginning of creation of a little bit of grain turning into a lot of grain and the seed getting planted and coming and a little bit of fish, a few fish multiplying and multiplying in the rivers and streams and oceans and being able to feed a lot of people. And he said, all that Jesus is doing is the exact same thing but in a way that we can see it. In a way that we can see it localized in a shorter amount of time than what we usually see. And that says, miracles are a retelling in small letters of that same story that's being told in such large letters all across the universe that usually we don't even see it. That Jesus has come to show us who the Father is. And he says, I've been doing the things that the Father's been doing. The people who have... Our blind now can see, because I'm I'm doing that, because that's what the Father does, gives sight to the blind. Healing, the sick, all of these are things that God did even in the very beginning, before sin messed it up. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm doing that sort of thing, and I'm pointing you not only to how things used to be, but how they're going to be again. When we finally make it home again. Right now, we are not in our home like it's supposed to be. It's been messed up. Our relationship with our father has been broken. And we are living out the consequences of that even now. But it's not always going to be this way. And one day, I will take you home to your father. That's what this whole thing is about with the uh, father's house. There are many rooms. And Jesus going to prepare a place. Thomas saying, we don't even know where you're going. And the answer is when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's where Jesus is going. He's going to the Father. If we understand that Jesus is the one who actually reveals who God is, as um, Colossians 1 put it, the Son is the image of Of the invisible God, that Jesus is the one, when we want to see what is God like, that we don't have to start thinking and philosophizing and start saying, well, if I were God, what would I be like? That is the wrong way to approach the question. When we understand that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, what we do is we look first to Jesus and we say, well, is Jesus loving? Is he cruel? Is he compassionate? Is he hot-tempered? What is Jesus like? And how does that then show us what the Father is like? Um, Hebrews, as we saw when we were going through Hebrews uh, chapter 1 there, seems like all these books sort of start out with the big themes of who Jesus is and what God has been doing for us in Jesus And it says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, in the beginning, when God created the whole world, remember he also created people. And he created people in his image. But that got messed up. And so when we see Jesus, we see the actual, we see the image of God as people were supposed to be. But Jesus is the only one who got it right. So when we look to Jesus, we see what we are supposed to be like as we are being uh, formed, reformed in the image of God because we see that Jesus is the one who is actually in the image of God. When we understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. This statement that Jesus makes, I am the way, the truth, and the life, shouldn't surprise us at all. In the same way that last week we said if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it shouldn't surprise us that he raises from the dead. It should surprise us that he died at all. But if he really is the resurrection and the life, then of course death couldn't stop him. Of course death couldn't hold him. Of course he beats death. And if Jesus really is God in the flesh, then of course he's the way. Of course he's the truth. Of course he's the life. Here's what uh, one commentary had to say about Jesus' response said, he is the way to the Father because only he has, in, has an intimate knowledge of God unmarred by sin. Is there anybody else who can say that? Anybody else here who has an intimate knowledge of God that has never been messed up by sin? Only Jesus. says, he is the truth because he has the perfect power of making life one coherent experience, irrespective of, the, of its ups and downs. And he is the life, because he was not subject to death, but made it subject to him. He did not live with death as the ultimate end of his life. He died to demonstrate the power and continuity of his life. And because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only means of reaching the Father. This is why this makes sense. Jesus is who he says he is when he says I am in the Father and the Father is in me the things that I have been saying the things that I have been doing have been showing you who I am then it doesn't become I mean these don't become fighting words it's not like you get into um, a conversation with someone who says you know I believe there are many ways to God and you say no let me tell you there's one way to God and it's Jesus and you know Acts 4.12, Peter says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And you kind of beat people up with these verses. There's no reason for that. But what, it, what these are about, what, why Jesus says this, is not so you can beat people up and show them how wrong they are, but so that you can show them the way to life. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is salvation found in no one else. And that it makes sense if we understand who Jesus is. Now, we mentioned with the kids a little bit ago that crown of thorns. You'll see that also pictured on the front of your bulletin. I mentioned that Jesus um, is the way to the Father. He's not, he doesn't just give us a system to follow, he gives us a person to follow. And as we continue to follow him in a loving, trusting relationship, we might see that he leads us in some ways that the world says doesn't make sense. But I want you to think about this. If you were following an explorer, an expert through some previously uncharted area to you, but they'd been there before. They knew the trails. They knew the ins and outs. They knew the, j- the dangers of the jungle, and you're following them through this. And they say, duck. And you say, I don't see any reason to duck. You're probably going to get whacked in the head with something. right? They know what they're talking about. And so you follow them and you repeat what they do as they go and you right there behind them. You duck, I duck. You say duck, I duck. <laughs> Whatever it is they're saying. Now, that's a big difference, by the way. A big difference between actually following them on the path they're leading and just uh, you know, watching a movie about them leading somebody else. <laughs> And as you're watching the movie about them leading somebody else and you're sitting there in the comfort of your own living room and they say duck and you go, well, I don't see any reason to duck. And you don't get hit in the head and you're like, see, I didn't need a duck at all. But you're also not going anywhere. You're not getting anywhere because you're not actually following the leader. You're just watching from a distance. I think there's a big danger. I think there's a big danger in churches, particularly in the United States today, of people watching from a distance and who can give the right answers and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And I will watch from a distance as he leads other people to God. But I'm not going to follow myself. And I've seen some of the commands that he's made before and I didn't do those things. I was fine. Let me tell you. Jesus has said, you know, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? The ways of the world are all about how can we gain more of the world. And the devil does not care if you gain the whole world. All he cares is that you lose your soul. On the other side, Jesus is not nearly as concerned about keeping your body well and safe as much as we pray for these things. And he is concerned about those things but not nearly to the extent that he's concerned with the safety of your soul and getting you, body and soul, into the presence of the Father in the new creation forever. The way of Jesus is often the way of suffering, the way of self-sacrifice, the way of letting go of the things of the world and being trained by the Master, the one who is the master of life, the one person who actually got it right. I don't know why it is that we look to Jesus and go, well, that's one option. And we look at all these other people who have not gotten it right at all and go, well, maybe I'll go with that. If he's the one who's got it right, let's go to him. Learn from him. Follow him closely. And understand that as we're doing that, of course, this is not a way that, well, now we are doing something to earn our salvation. Please don't hear that at all. But let us not also sit on the banks, seeing the way open before us, and complain that there hasn't been more than one way. Let us grab hold of the way that has been offered to us. Let us learn from the Master what it means to have real life. Let us be empowered by his Spirit to live the life that we can only live in Jesus and let us continue to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, that we would be people fit for the kingdom, (coughs) the kingdom of God that he is bringing us into. With that in mind, it makes sense that Jesus is the way, and the truth, and the life. What doesn't make sense doesn't make sense is to look at the one who is the way the truth and the life and say no thanks today we have an opportunity whether we have never started following him or whether it's been a while since we've followed him closely or whether we have been following him closely today we have a day another opportunity it was not guaranteed to us but today we have that day we have the opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to follow you today. And tomorrow, if we wake up, we have another opportunity to say, yes, I will follow you today. Trusting that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.